Father, in his law, has promised us if we obey the commands that he give us, he has a responsibility to us. And part of that is to make sure that you have everything you need. Poverty is not part of his kingdom. Poverty comes from those who refuse to do what is required. A little sleep, <laughs> a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will overtake you. Poverty is not supposed to overtake those who are in the kingdom. How can you be in the kingdom with the Almighty who owns everything and be poor? That's saying we have a father that doesn't provide, and it is not his desire for you to be lacking. For he is our shepherd, we shall not want. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. After a couple of trips to Egypt to purchase food and return to the land of Canaan, Israel was informed by his sons that Joseph was not only alive, but was Lord of Egypt, and had extended to him and all his household an invitation to come to Egypt. This pilgrimage of Israel and all his children going to Egypt would set the stage for the development of what would become the nation of Israel as promised by Jehovah and the epic return to the promised land. Today's study title is Israel Goes to Egypt. So let's study. So today we are in Genesis chapter number 46. And if you remember last week in the message, Joseph, Lord of Egypt, Joseph revealed to his brothers and told that although they had sold him into slavery, it was Jehovah who sent him into Egypt. And so it was father's plan. And interestingly enough, when Joseph was excited about the dreams that he had, and he showed and told those dreams to his brothers. He had no clue how father was going to work this out. And here's the thing that I've learned is that father speak to us and we can get excited about the things that father say, but we have no idea how he's going to work these things out in our lives. And so there were times and, and hear me in the right spirit. There were times when I needed a word from the Almighty and I got a word from the Almighty and I was I was excited about that word from the Almighty. And then the next thing I knew is like I'm being blindsided. I'm being hit. I'm being attacked. And I've come to realize and this is where understanding the word that when the word of the Almighty is sown, the enemy comes immediately. And so now even though when I get a word, I'm still excited, but I'm also guarded because I know that when that word comes, so is warfare, that we're going to have to endure some warfare. And when we look at the lives of Joseph and we look at the things that father, father spoke some things to Abraham. Well, we can go all the way back 
all the way back to the garden. He spoke some things to Mr. and Mrs. Adam. They didn't obey. They didn't listen. They found themselves excommunicated from the garden. He spoke some things to Noah. He says, Noah, you know, I'm not going to strive with man for a long time. And Noah told him to build an ark. And Noah was preaching. He preached all that time. And next thing you know, Noah is in the middle, middle of the ocean. Noah didn't go to the ocean. It seemed like the ocean <laughs> came, came to Noah. And now, as this journey is over, Noah has planted a vineyard and got drunk. <laughs> Abraham, leave your father's house. And the stuff that Abraham had to go through before he came to the land that father promised him. And then, of course, we're going to see here that Egypt has a pivotal or I would say a prominent place in the lives of the Hebrews. And we're going to see that Egypt is one of those countries that is mentioned from Genesis and is mentioned all the way through to Revelation. Egypt was where Abraham was made rich. Egypt is where Hagar was given to Sarah and from her, Abraham's first son, Ishmael, came by Hagar, an Egyptian. Joseph ruled over Egypt, as we seen last week in the teaching, he was the Lord of Egypt. We found in the writings that Joseph was not only Lord of Egypt, but he was ruler over Egypt. He was father over Pharaoh. Pharaoh put him over everything in his house and he ruled the entire land of Egypt. And then Joseph was, would be given a wife named Asenath, who is an Egyptian and two of the 12 tribes. I mean, it's hard to identify if, if we use the same principle that Israel used today for individuals to make Aliyah, you know, for a person to make Aliyah, they have to prove that they're Jewish. And it's not through the father, it's through the mother. And so if you use that scenario today, then we would have to say that the identity of one's heritage comes through the mother, whereas scripturally, the identity of one's heritage comes through the father. And so if we use the Jewish measurement, then Ephraim and Manasseh would be Egyptians. Israel would be made a nation in Egypt. And this is tonight's teaching is the continuation of that process where Israel is going to become a nation as it has been promised. But now they've got to leave. Well, <laughs> they weren't leaving their comfort. Because father created a famine. If you remember when we went back to Pharaoh's dream, the Bible says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Jehovah is showing you what he is about to do. So who brought the famine? Father brought the famine. He created a famine. He put Joseph in a strategic place created a famine that affected Israel that forced Israel to leave the land he had promised him. Now think about this. He's got to get Israel out of the land of promise to make him a nation to bring him into the promised land. 
<laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he was already in the land he said he was going to give him. But now he's got to get him out of the land of promise, take him into Egypt, make him a nation so he can bring him back to the promised land. Father's ways are not our ways. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm continually reminded over and over and over and over again. It makes Absolutely no sense whatsoever to allow oneself to move into a place of anger and remain. It makes absolutely no sense. This is why the Bible says we should be slow to anger. It doesn't stop us from getting angry. And some people have a tendency to carry that anger throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, and sometime for years. It's like, don't you realize that is not Jehovah? Father put us in situations at times because he's trying to get us to the promises that he has made us. And it's like, well, okay, well, if you're making these promises, why can't you just manifest the promises right where I'm at? Well, I got to go through all of that. See, well, because he see you, you think you know you, you don't know you. Now, you know some, some things about you, <laughs> but there's some things about you, brothers and sisters, you don't know because you haven't been put in the situation for that thing in you to show his face. Understand something. Though we have committed our lives, our ways to the Almighty, there's still some flesh. There's still some of that old man. That's, there's still that person who was born in sin. And this is why the Bible says, though I would do good, evil is always present. Where? It's not that it's present outside you. A lot of the evil that, that is present in our lives is within us. And we got to identify and flesh it out. Flush and flesh. Yeah. <laughs> Israel gathers all he, everything he had to make the pilgrimage to Egypt. And there, Jehovah would make him the nation of Israel as he promised him. But before embarking on his journey, he acknowledged Jehovah presents a sacrifice to the God of his father, Isaac. And in verse one, it says, and Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. Beersheba was a very significant place in the lives of Abraham and Isaac. And now in Israel's life, because if you remember going back, Abraham planted a grove or a tree uh, in one version, it says it's a tamarisk tree. And there he called on the name Jehovah. In chapter 21, 33, Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And then Jehovah appeared to Isaac in Beersheba. And there he built an altar, worshiped, and dug a well. In Genesis 26, 23, it says he, Isaac went up from thence to Beersheba and Jehovah appeared unto him the same night and said, I am Jehovah. I am God of Abraham, your father. Fear not for I'm with you. 
and I will bless you and multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And it says, and he built an altar there and called upon the name of Jehovah. And then he pitched his tent there and later they digged a well. And then now Jehovah is speaking to Israel in Beersheba. And God spoke unto Israel in the visions of the night. And here's one of those areas again, brothers and sisters. Now we know Moses is the one who is writing this. We believe that the first five books of the Bible was, was written predominantly by Moses. And yet Moses knows because the commentation here says, and God spoke unto Israel. Now it was, it was Jehovah who spoke and said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And in previous places, when father spoke to him after that, he spoke Israel. But here it says, now God is calling him Jacob, Jacob. And Moses says, and God spoke unto Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. I can't help but think if we've got some translation issues or we've got some individuals who have intentionally wanted to preserve the name Jacob. Now, I've looked into some other sources. I looked in the Samaritan Torah. I have a copy of that. And I've looked in some other sources. And in, in all of those sources, it says Jacob. But it seems to be inconsistent with what Father has said. And here's what I've learned is that when Father has spoken, I want to hold on to what he has said. Because there are other things that are, that are written that it seems to either Moses is confused where it was he who wrote based on what father revealed to him. Because how many of you know, Moses came several hundred years after Abraham. The Bible says, uh, father told Abraham, your, your children are going to be mistreated in the land of Egypt. Moses was born in Egypt and father spoke to him that it would be 400 in one version. It's 430. So from the time Abraham received this 400 to 430 years later, Moses was born. And yet Moses who was born 400 and some years after Abraham is writing about Abraham. And this is, this is him receiving from the Almighty to put to us as a record. And we know that when the compilation of the Hebrew Bible is compiled, that there are missing pieces, that they've had to take different pieces of different transcripts and try to comprise a whole book of the Bible. We're also going to see in this passage that the same formula that whatever theologians came up with to devise the names of the books of the Torah is somewhat confusing because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me move. Okay, let's do that. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, or Israel, Israel. And he said, here am I. 
According to the words Jehovah spoke to Israel, Israel was afraid to go to Egypt. But Jehovah lets him know that in order for him to fulfill the promise he had made to Israel, when he changed his name from Jacob to Israel to make him a nation, he needed to go to Egypt for in Egypt was his destiny. And I see that typo. So I'm going to take it out. So there you have it. Now we see that according to Jehovah's word in chapter 35, when he spoke, he says, and God said unto him, your name is Jacob. I shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. So being that father spoke these words and now to see that he's saying, Jacob, Jacob, you know, I see what is written, but flags go up for me. That's just me. And Elohim said unto him, I am Elohim almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And the way I interpret this is that, your 12 will be the nation Israel, but each of your 12 will be a nation in itself. So there will be one nation called Israel and there will be 12 nations that comprise Israel. However, in essence, there will be more because Levi does not necessarily become a nation in the sense of a tribal land. Ephraim and Manasseh will become tribal lands. Of course, that's a whole nother story. But he says, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins. And he said, I am Elohim, the Elohim of your father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. Now that statement says that Israel has some, some reservations. Remember, he didn't even want to send Benjamin to Egypt. And now, after all these years, believing that Joseph was dead, these boys that he has some issues with is telling them Joseph is, is alive. And guess what convinces him? What convinces him is not what they say. But he looked outside and he saw all the stuff. <laughs> It's like, okay, maybe, maybe they, cause, cause it's like, you know, y'all went up with this and you came back with all of this. So when he saw all the stuff that had come back, he says, okay, I think I could go along with this. Let's see how far this goes. And father now meets him and he says, don't, don't be afraid to go because I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. So Israel was informed father would go with him and then that he would bring him back to the land. He's going to take him out of the land, but he's going to bring him back to the land. And he says, now you're going to go, you're going to leave here upright, <laughs> but you're not, you're going to die in Egypt. And this is what he's saying. I will go down with thee into Egypt. I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand up on thine eyes. Now, those of you who've ever watched these movies where people die and they die with their eyes open, you know how they close their eyes. Basically, he's telling Israel, you're going up, but you're not going to come back alive. 
Now, understand that from the time they make their journey up to Egypt, hundreds of years is going to pass while they're in Egypt. Hundreds of years. This is not going to be a, a journey that they're going to go and 50, 60 years, they come back. They're going to be many, many years, several hundred years in Egypt. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father and their little ones and their wives in a wagon in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So Israel looked out that tent when the boys came back and he saw, he saw them wagons. He saw those provisions. He saw more than what they left with as far as possessions is concerned. And I'm not just talking about food. And so they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. His sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And the first set of children we see is the sons Leah gave Israel and their children. And these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak and Falu and Hezron and Carmi. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jakin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanitish woman. So here we, we see that not only did Judah go up and engage in a Canaanite, a woman of Canaanite, and then, of course, he ended up being maneuvered, tricked, if you would, by his daughter-in-law, who he wouldn't give his two sons to, which was a promise that he had made. And so it wasn't just Judah who had these children by this Canaanite woman. In fact, Judah's sons was a product of a Canaanite woman. And then he got tricked by a Canaanite woman and had two more sons. But we find that Simeon, now we don't know, according to verse 10, if Shaul was the only son of a Canaanite woman, which would say that either Simeon, all these sons was from a Canaanitish woman, or Simeon had another wife, but who would he have married? It doesn't tell us. And it doesn't tell us the name of this Canaanitish woman. But one thing we know, Simeon had at least one son by a Canaanitish woman and the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath and Merari and the sons of Judah Er, and Onan and Shelah. Now these were the three sons he had before Tamar and then Pharaoh and Zerah, they were through Tamar, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan and the sons of Pharaoh was Hezron and Hamul. Now remember Er and Onan was Tamar's husband's. The first husband died, and then she ended up with the second brother. And then he died. And then she ended up with the daddy because the daddy refused to give the third brother to him. And from the daddy, Judah, came Perez and Zerah. And the sons of Issachar, Tola and Puva, and Job and Shimron, and the sons of Zebulon, Sarid and Elon and Jaleel. These be the sons of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob in Padam Aram with his daughter Dinah, 
All the souls of his sons and his daughters were 30 and three. The sons of Zippor that she gave Israel and their children. Verse 16, and the sons of Gad, Siphion, and Haggai, and Shunai, and Esbon, Eri, and Arodai, and Areli, and the sons of Asher, Jimna, and Ishua, and Isua, and Beriah, and Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Machiel. These are the sons of Zilpar, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bare unto Jacob, even 16 souls. The sons of Rachel, that she gave Israel and their children. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And unto Joseph in the land of Egypt was born Manasseh and Ephraim, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And the sons of Benjamin were Bela and Becca and Ashbel, Gera and Naaman, Eha and Rosh, Mupim and Hupim and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, which were born to Jacob. All the souls were 14. The sons of Bilhar, which she gave Israel and their children. The sons of Dan, Hushem. And the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel and Gune and Jezer and Shalim. These are the sons of Bilhar, which Laban gave unto Rachel, his daughter. And she bare these unto Jacob. All the souls were seven. All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins besides Jacob's son's wives, all the souls were three score and six. Now, if you do the counting, you're going to find that there's some variations in numbers like here, three score and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten. And so three score and ten would include the two sons of Judah that died and Joseph's two sons. And if you separate the two sons that died and Joseph's two sons, you have three score and six, which is 66. But total that came from the loins of Israel and his wives, all of the souls that came out of his loins prior to coming to Egypt and being connected to Joseph's two sons while in Egypt amounted to 70. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Now, Israel's favorite son is reunited with his father. And I say this because it is no mystery to us that Joseph was Israel's favorite son amongst all his sons. And he demonstrated that he was his favorite son when he gave him that coat of many colors that caused the jealousy and the envy of his brothers to increase to the point to where now they not only wanted to get rid of him by murder, but even come to a conclusion of selling him, which was all part of father's plan. Now father showed the boy, the dream, knowing that the boy would tell the dream, knowing that the boys would get upset about the dream and do what they did. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, I don't understand why father do things the way he do. And this is where faith comes in because you and I both know that, well, I don't know if most of us strategically think long-term like that. 
See, Father sees the end from the beginning. And so, you know, here he is talking to Abraham and saying, Abraham, you're going to have some children. Now, you don't have no children yet, but you're going to have some children. And even though you have none yet, you're going to have so many children, you're not going to be able to count them. But guess what, Abraham? You're not going to see them. Because I'm going to take them up to Egypt, and they're going to be there for 400, 430 years. So father is talking to Abraham, and he's 430 years in the future. Now, the best we've been taught is to do retirement planning, right? And that's, that's difficult for many. It's like, man, you can't even plan for your funeral. Now, now you know that according to the mortality rate, according to how long people live and looking at your ancestors, because if you think about it, you know, you look at your mama, your dad, your grandmama, your grandfather and see what what their lifespan and you get an idea that, okay, you know, there's a possibility if I live beyond my mom and my dad, I got these many years. But I know, I know a day is coming when I will close my eyes and go to sleep, how prepared am I for that moment? Don't want to think about it. <laughs> and yeah, here father is hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And though we cannot say what's going to happen, we can at least begin to make provisions. Even the, the proverb says that a prudent man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. A prudent man. There's nothing wrong with us thinking about death. There's nothing wrong with us making provisions for when we die. There's nothing wrong with us making a will. There's nothing wrong with us creating a trust, trust documents, whatever process that you find to be most advantageous for you. There's nothing wrong with us planning for the day we exit. Because guess what? If Messiah Terry, one day we're going to exit. And the better plan, the better we are planned for it. It's, it's amazing when people, you know, you get to that place, that time, and folks say, well, you know, you need to get your house in order. Look, folks, our house needs to stay in order. I've already informed my wife, if something happens to me, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to look for. I've left instructions. <laughs> we need to plan for that because the day is coming. And you know as well as I do, for those who have left, the aftermath of a death and a funeral is typically grief. And the better informed, the better prepared you are, especially if you are a husband and you have a wife and children, and, you know, I plan on being here after mine, but... Nevertheless, that's my faith talking. The reality is, just in case that don't happen, I don't want my wife 
to have to deal with not only grief, but not knowing what to do after I'm gone. She need to know where the cans are buried. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She needs to know. <laughs> so I've got one of those uh, envelopes with instructions. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I encourage you. There's nothing wrong. You preparing for your death is not some kind of voodoo. It's not some kind of, uh, you ain't being janky. <laughs> You're not jinxing anything. You're being prudent. That's what you're doing. You're being prudent. Based on what Jehovah told Israel in verse four, he was ready to die. Since he had seen the face of Joseph once more. Remember, he says, listen, I'm going with you. I'm going to bring you back. But the way you go is not the way you're going to come back. And while we're there, I'm going to make you a nation, as I promised. In verse 30, Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die. How could he make such a statement? Because father says, you know, you, you, you're going, but you ain't coming back the way you came. You're going to die in Egypt. And Israel is saying, now that I've seen Joseph. And here in, in verse 30, see, here, here's one of those places. Now, we see Joseph and Israel being used interchangeably in this passage. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, because we know that the Hebrew side of the scriptures or the, the Old Testament was preserved. I'm going to step way out on a crack limb already. I mean, just, just step out there and warn you that I'm going. There is a reason why the Essenes didn't trust Pharisees and Sadducees. There's a reason why the Samaritans rejected everything that came after the five books that was given to Moses. There are reasons why there are people who don't embrace the writings and the prophets because those are considered to be Jewish writings. They're considered to be written by the Jews and they're considered to tell the story from a Jewish perspective that the only thing that can be trusted is the words that came out of Jehovah's mouth. And those words are given to us in what we call the Torah. People wonder why many people put emphasis on the Torah. It's because the Torah is what is bonafiable words that proceeded and was recorded words that came directly from the mouth of the most high. And so in saying that we know that the Torah is the word of God. Now, interestingly enough, we don't know who wrote Nehemiah. We don't know who wrote Ezra. We give them names. There are books in the Bible that we give names. Most people think David wrote all the Psalms, but David didn't write all the Psalms. Most people think Solomon wrote all the Proverbs, but 
Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs. We got books in the Bible. We don't even know who wrote them. And yet they're trusted as the infallible word of God. And that's not to say anything negative. Let me tell you something. A true student of scripture have no problem asking questions and searching out the answers. And one who is true to the scripture can come to a place to where they can say, I don't know and not be ashamed not knowing. Because the truth of the matter, the reason I don't know is because nobody has been able to prove it. And I'm not standing here saying I know when it's not known. (laughs) I can be honest with me. And you should be able to be honest with you because I can hear it now. and say, man, there you go, undermining the scripture. How can we trust them to teach us the scripture when he wants to undermine the scriptures? Oh, God. It's not undermining anything. It's looking for the source. You want to know where the source is. We got a book called Esther that doesn't even mention Hello? And then you got all these other books. So there's nothing wrong with being a student of Scripture, asking those questions that make people uncomfortable, saying things that people have a hard time getting their mind around because they're babies. Babies will have an issue with that. But this is not a ministry for babies. Now, we we have some babies and we nurture them. But these ain't religious babies. These are babies who they break their teeth or on the word or what is it? There you go. Cut their teeth on the word, not on some nipple. I mean, I'm not talking about a, a woman's breast. I'm talking about a pacifier, rubber titty. <laughs> this is not for those kind of folks, folks. I'm just saying it like it is. Because I got some people out there who got issues with me. And that's okay. You know, I ain't mad at you. But your issues with me is not going to stop me from being honest and integral when it comes down to the word. Not buying a lot of this religious garbage that people wants to spew out and feed people with. Let's stick with what is written. Let's stick with what is truth. Let's stick with that which can be proved, not traditions and commandments of men. Joseph devises his plan to keep the Israelites separate from the Egyptians, for he knew the Egyptians. He knew they wouldn't eat with Hebrews, and he also knew that they despised shepherds. So notice, and Joseph said unto his brothers, look, And unto his father's house. So he says unto his brothers and he says to all of Israel, says, I'm going to go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, my brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds for their trade hath been to feed cattle and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, because I know Pharaoh, he's going to ask. I know him. I've been with him for a while now. 
when Pharaoh shall call you, he will say, what is your occupation? Now, how does he know Pharaoh's going to do this? Because he has been in the service of Pharaoh. He's been around Pharaoh. He's observed Pharaoh. How did he know that the Egyptians thought it was an abomination to eat with the Hebrews? Was it because they were Hebrews? Or were they under the impression that the Hebrews were shepherds? Because Joseph wasn't a shepherd. He didn't do any shepherding while he was in Egypt. He was a servant in Potiphar's house. He was a servant in the prison. And then he became viceroy, ruler, lord of Egypt. So there was no shepherding. So when he says, for the Egyptians would not eat with the Hebrews, for it was an abomination, why wouldn't they eat with the Hebrews? The Bible doesn't tell us. So we know the Egyptians didn't eat with Hebrews, but Joseph has also ascertained that the Egyptians considered the shepherds an abomination, but yet the Egyptians had sheep, goats, and cattle. And yet they considered shepherds an abomination. Now think about it. These are the people who are raising your food. These are the people who are putting flesh on your tables. And yet he considered them an abomination. What was about them that was so abominable? Possibly they had dirty fingernails. Probably they smelled like animals. I know my parents used to say, boy, this room smells like a pigsty. It's like, you know, mama, I I don't know what a pigsty smells like, but obviously you do. And so I don't know, maybe, maybe they smelled, maybe they were dirty. Maybe they had rickets or carried disease or whatever the case. I don't, I don't know. But yet these are the people who are raising your livestock and putting food on your table. And yet they are considered to be an abomination as we're going to see. So he says, Pharaoh's going to ask you, what do y'all do? You ever notice that's a typical question when you come across somebody you don't know? It's like, what do you do? What kind of work do you do? Maybe this is just small talk. So Pharaoh, he says, he's going to call you and he's going to say, what is your occupation? And when he asks you that question, this is what you tell him. Your servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. So what is he saying? Egypt, just like America, I'm going to tell you something about America. America has certain states where certain products come from. There's certain grounds and certain land. You know, Texas is known for its cattle, beef, cowboys. Georgia and North Carolina, you know, they're, they're known for their what? What kind of animals? Hogs, pigs. The Midwest is known for its farming. Wheat, barley. There's certain states that seem to produce certain types of products. And like Egypt, there were certain areas, and it seems as if Goshen was the fertile land. So it was most likely the place where Pharaoh grew his cattle. But it was also considered to be the best land 
And what I mean by the best land possibly, because remember the thing about Israel, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land. It was a place where shepherds would grow their cattle and, and raise their flocks. And so Goshen, he says, tell them this, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to get Pharaoh. He's already a scribe because Joseph lives in Goshen. And now he's trying to get his family into Goshen. And he doesn't want Pharaoh to come up with some other bright idea to send them someplace else. So he says, listen, and this, I believe, was strategic on Joseph's part. Tell them you are shepherds. Your grandfathers were shepherds. This is what we do that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. That's the land we want. We want it for our people. We want it for our shepherds. We want it for our sheep, for our cattle. And not only that, think about this. If the Egyptians consider shepherds to be an abomination, guess where the Egyptians will not be living? In Goshen. (laughs) You see this. So hundreds of years later, the Israelites are going to be in the land of Goshen and father can mess with the Egyptians all over Egypt, but preserve Goshen or strategy folks. And I'm going to tell you, when you learn how to strategize and think, you know, people who play chess, they supposed to be good at that as far as movements is concerned. But I'm going to tell you something when it comes down to navigating society, navigating through the world, knowing and observing and watching and just learning. There's a lot to be said here. So we bring this to a close. Two things that were abomination to the Egyptians. One, shepherds were an abomination. Two, eating with Hebrews was an abomination as we found out in the previous chapter. We're going to end this teaching here. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>